don't worry about it, Daniel, because something's coming. Bible Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Hello. And Tracy. Hey. And Amy. Good evening. Guys, it's hot. Yeah, it is. Ugh. <laughs> Have we died and gone to hell? What happened? Oh Ugh. my gosh. It's How so hot, hot is it down there? Well, okay, so the way that the way that you have to calculate the heat here is yes, you can look at the thermometer and maybe it's 99 degrees or 102 or 104, but then you have to do the heat index which accommodates the 95 freaking percent humidity and gives oh. you your real heat value of 109 or whatever it is that day. Wet bulb. Yeah. That's Drinking. not pleasant. My Drinking skin my skin likes it. My yeah. hair I have given up and started shopping in the ethnic aisle at the store for products <laughs> that can control. I am not joking even a little bit. I, I, I actually now use ethnic products on my hair to try to control the curl. And it still doesn't work. It's horrid. I told well, I myself do. earlier on the phone, I said, I look like an orange shrub. Like I can't even <laughs> I just, I give up. <laughs> I, moved, I moved out here. It was hot. It was sticky. I took one look in the mirror and I was like, that's it. I'm never going to be cute again. That's it. That's it. It's done. <laughs> I suppose Scottish Irish heritage counts as ethnic, right? It's, it's an ethnicity. It's it, sort it of. Is an ethnicity. I was talking about that because I was like, well, don't I? yeah, it is. An well, that's what they call it at the store. I'm sorry if I said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's a funny. It's kind of a funny term, but it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for 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 curly curly hair. Oh, so curly hair. Mm. <laughs> well, it's funny because we have a kind of a debate here in my house about whether we'd ha rather have a hot or cold. And as much as I don't like the heat, I hate the cold so much more. I hate you really. I really do. I hate having to put it. Well, see, I work out in it, and oh. and so I have to put on about seven layers to go outside and and work and it hasn't been terrible here the last couple of years but when it gets cold it's cold and you you it, i just don't like having to put on so much stuff just to be able to function and yeah i don't i don't like it of course as i get older it changes i i used to be all about summer but then when i was a kid i had more free time to go jump in the swimming pool so Mm -hmm. yeah. It's uh, sort of just a different thing now. I just kind of like to sit in the air conditioning, <laughs> but but yes, so so hot. <clears throat> well, hey, let's let's talk about Daniel chapter nine tonight. We have been studying the book of Daniel for a few weeks now, and you will recall that Daniel uh, has been was captured by the Babylonians and brought to Babylon to kind of be uh, work in the court and be trained up. He's found himself in a position of some certain uh, power and influence. Uh, he has been basically an advisor, I guess what I would call it, to King the king's uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then, uh, oh, who was the next one? Um, Darius. Dar 
Well, Darius came later, right? No. Yes. Oh, Bel- yeah, Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. I see that's the name that was in my mouth, in my head, but it wasn't coming out because I thought I was wrong. Belteshazzar and then and then uh, Darius. And in fact, that's where we start now here with Daniel 9. We've talked about Darius. Darius was the king uh involved with um putting Daniel I'm gonna, in the lion's den. That's a rather famous story. And this chronology in Daniel sort of bouncing around. It's like Daniel wanted to put out the greatest hits first, and then he kind of backs up and, and says, okay, and then this happened. So we're, we're, we're backing up a little bit here now to the first year of Darius. And Daniel is studying something that we've studied. And this is kind of cool. I really kind of thought this was kind of awesome because it talks about how he was studying the book of Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool too. Yeah, so I mean, this is a you know, this is a guy that we're studying, and he has studied a book that we've studied. And I was trying to think of how far, how long ago it was we studied Jeremiah. It's been a bit because it felt like we were in Ezekiel forever. But yeah. um, <laughs> Jeremiah is actually the longer of the two. But, uh, so anyway, that was kind of cool to me that he's studying Jeremiah, but and some good stuff though. He was direct into the point. Remember, yes. you know, we said that a lot of people had a lot of fluff, too, that they would try to give people. And Jeremiah, his the book of Jeremiah starts off bleak. You know, he just gives it to him just unfiltered. Mm-hmm. And in that studying, he I guess he realizes or rediscovers that this uh, I don't know. What, what do we want to call it? Isolation. Uh, it's not really an occupation because they've been pulled away. But this uh, captivity, I guess we could call it captivity, of... He calls of it the desolation of Jerusalem. Desolation. Yeah, desolation of Jerusalem. Exile. It, exile. Exile is a good word, too, of Judah in Babylon. It's supposed to last for 70 years, which we've talked about a lot on this on this podcast, about how they were going to be drawn away, pulled away for 70 years. And this is going to be a corrective action on God's part towards them. And they were supposed to come out the other side of it better. And so uh, as Daniel is reading this, he starts feeling, I don't know, would you, would you say he's feeling guilt or that he's recognizing guilt for Judah and Israel? Because he starts to confess in a prayer, he starts to confess this guilt of Judah and all of Israel. I, I think it's really interesting that he... You know, he's the one studying. He's the one interested. He's been faithful to God all of his life. And yet he seeks the Lord's face through sackcloth and ashes. Like he's, and he comes on behalf of the whole people, like all his people. I think that's the kicker right there, though, is just like Amy saying that. I don't think he's doing it for himself, per se. He is part of the nation, and that's how he feels. I think during that exile, it was kind of the one for all as far as he was concerned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, verse five, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Yeah. So, I mean, what does that, does that, I mean, does that speak to you for us, our need to be praying on behalf of our nation and confessing the guilt that our that our entire nation is has had because there's a lot of guilt right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of things to be 
to be confessing. How much of that do we take on ourselves? Yeah, it's a super interesting prayer because of that aspect. Um, look at verse seven. Oh, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, there is just confusion of face. Like we don't even really know, you know, right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm thinking here, too, as I was reading this, I'm trying to and trying to place it. Like I wish I had that timeline Bible like Karen has, because by the time Darius is around, Daniel has been there for a while. Didn't we, we said determine? It was his 80s. Yeah. Didn't we determine that by the time he went into the lion's den, he was about in his 80s, something like that? And then we yeah. said 87. What's that? 87, didn't we say? I think it was something like that. I don't remember exactly. So so what I, I kind of took a look at that and what I understood from this was that this was probably roughly a year after the lion's den. What I'm getting at is how long he has been there. And I don't know since he got there since this 70 weeks or uh, sorry, 70 getting ahead of myself there. 70 years started. And the things that he's talking about here leads me to believe that they've been there for a while and they haven't gotten the message yet. Because he's still talking about how they've departed from God's precepts and judgments. They haven't listened to prophets and they haven't kept God's laws. Uh, so it, it's almost as if they've they've been pulled away. The corrective action went into uh, motion but it sounds to me like maybe Judah still hasn't figured it out. Okay. Do you actually think, though, that there's a possibility that God would have looked into the future and misjudged how long to send his own people into captivity for as a punishment? No. Okay. No. No, I'm just, uh, I just, I, I don't. It's from God's point of view, if God's the one that sent them there for a certain period of time, I guess I don't really see how their current behavior would be something God was unprepared for that required extra intervention. Right. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if that's not really what I'm saying, though. I'm just I'm just amazed. I've always been amazed at how Israel just seems to constantly do the wrong thing and not figure it out. And and here it just it feels to me like they're there and they still have it. And yes, God put them there and he knows what's going to happen. But it's like they're just they're not catching on. You know, I think it's it's exactly kind of what we're saying, because God already saw what was going to happen. Remember in the beginning when he said, hey, I want you to go do your time in Babylon. They're going to come in. They're going to defeat you. You need to go do your 70 years. Learn your lesson. Become a better nation. I will bring you back. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. he also had to include. Do not go to Egypt. Do not seek refuge somewhere else to try to to circumvent this the system right now. And I think he already planned ahead. He knew that they were going to go there. And I think it's just a part of any kind of almost the steps of grief. They lost it. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna you know, they're gonna feel remorse. They're gonna feel anger. They're gonna feel bargaining. They're gonna feel regret. They're gonna go through all the the phases. And God knew it. He was just like, but he made it plain. Go there. Do your time. I thought it was interesting when we were reading, um, so last week when we were talking through the, uh, or I guess last chapter is the w best way to say that, um, when we were talking through the different nations and we were talking about how Medo-Persia, 
you know, the bear that was lifted up on one side and it had the three ribs in its mouth. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And then why did it have three ribs in its mouth? Because it took over these three nations. So here's Israel still in its 70 years of captivity and Medo-Persia goes and takes over Egypt. Yeah. So like is Israel would have ended up under in captivity under the same nation, which I thought was interesting. Um, the, so the thing that, that kind of, and I, I struggle with prayer. Okay. So like personal confession time, I struggle with what to pray for and how aggressively. All right. And this chapter is actually a perfect example of it. Cause if I go to Israel, um, Israel, Isaiah 55, I read verses that say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay, so this is God saying what I say I'll do. Period. Like if I say it, it's going to happen. Okay, and then you get to Jeremiah and God says, I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years. Don't dodge it. Go. Take your, take your spanking, take your time out in your room, I'll bring you back and I'll restore you, right? And now here, here's Daniel. We know he knows about the 70 years. That's all within his lifetime. He knows it's coming to an end, right? And here he is pouring out his heart, asking for God's intercession to save his people. And I gotta say, I don't understand that. I'm with you. I, uh, I, I, I'm not great at prayer either. I, I kind of envy people who, you know, you hear about people who can who can pray about things and, you know, people talking about an hour of prayer. And I'm like, a what? <laughs> you know, and uh, which is not to say that I don't want to talk to God. I am just uh, generally a person that doesn't speak a lot. So it's kind of weird that I do a podcast now. But, um, so, my, but, my, but, but think, here's what I'm trying to get at. Like mm -hmm. in situations where God hasn't made a firm promise. I don't have any problem asking for what I think I want, gotcha. but always giving the ca the caveat of, you know, your will be done kind of a thing. Like, I think I know what I want, but I can only see what's in front of me. You see further, so I trust your judgment, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have any problem with that in a situation that is undefined. This situation is firmly defined by the scrolls of a prophet. I, I, and I honestly, like, I scratched my th my head through half this chapter. Like, why is he even praying about it? He already knows what's going to happen. Yeah. No, I get you. I get like you. like a Christian. <laughs> yeah. No, I get you. He's he said it. He said it. And, uh, yeah. Do you not so, believe he's going to do it? Why you got to ask again? You I know? get you. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. So that's just some people pray, and I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, I'd be curious what our other two cohorts here think. Yeah, I guess I see it differently, though, because like we're on the verge of eternity, like we are living in the last days, according to prophecy and whatnot. And yet we're studying it. And, and I've heard Dave Ramsey say, 
you know, I've read the book, God wins, like he's not even interested in it. And I, and I laugh about that. Like I can see why he says that. And yet a lot of our time and energy is spent studying prophecy as, as a church. And I guess I feel like here's Daniel on the verge of when the 70 years is about to end. And he somehow knows that prayer is necessary. He, I mean, he could sit back and say, well, God promised it. So I guess, you know, I'll just sit back. But he senses that he needs to be in prayer. And, and I think we sense that too. So I mean, this may sound strange, but I always think about the fact that Jesus talked about the book of Daniel. And, and that intrigues me because a lot of people, and particularly in our local church, we do want to say, and we often do say, you know, I just want to talk about Jesus, which is cool. But Jesus's mind created these prophecies and, and he talked about Daniel. So I guess, I don't know, I'm excited about it. And I also feel like Daniel is sensing something here that needs consecration or um, there's something here. What do, you, what do you think, Tracy? You know, I, I agree with everything that everybody's saying. I could see that perspective. Mm-hmm. And when I read this, I think of the human part of it and I think of it. Like when I have to punish my sons Mm. and it's firm, this is what's going to happen. But yet they will try to collectively bargain it down. (laughs) (laughs) But if we look at it, it's the same way in the Bible, though. It was to the point Daniel's doing this now. We know what you've done. We know that you want to go back home, but that's not part of the deal. But he's still going to pray about it. That's the human part of it. That's the not knowing the big picture part of it, where if we look back and we look at Moses, Moses did the same thing. You cannot go to Canaan. And he sat there and repeatedly worked, tried to work on God to say, can I go, please, baby, help, you know, is there anything I can do? To the point where God had to say, listen, do not ask me again. Stop asking. Yes. (laughs) Don't make me come back there. You know, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I look at it. I, I, I would say I believe that Daniel knows that that is firm. The seven years is firm. But I think just the ache in his heart about being away from home and his nation being removed from their home uh-huh. is enough for him to continue to mention it. I have a note here that says he's been in captivity now 67 years. Yeah. So, like... Is he's probably thinking, okay, when did it actually start? Because there were a couple of times that Nebuchadnezzar came and got prisoners. Right. And are we like on the verge of going? Am I getting, home? Lord, am I getting close? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're reading this, it's supposed to be seventy years, and you're like, well, by my standard, that would be three more years. Is it three more years, or when did this thing start? So, do you guys remember the times, like maybe in the book of Exodus and in the book of I think Isaiah were the times I noticed it the most where God would say, I'm not doing this because you're amazing. I'm doing this oh, because yes. I'm me. Right. Yes. Yes. He would say, he would say, I'm not standing up for your name. I'm standing up for my name. Right. Because and he would of my say, righteousness, because yeah. of my righteousness, I'm doing this. Right. right. And, um, and that comes into play here at the end yeah. of Daniel's prayer, which I thought was, Clever. So Daniel says, um, uh, let's see, what what verse is it? It's, it's, it's right near the end of his prayer. So starting in verse 18. Give uh, ear, yeah. yeah, give ear our God and hear. 
Open your eyes and see the desolation of city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Right. And that's that's really interesting to me. I I uh, I can't think of a single time that I've prayed to God and uh, tried to call on his sense of his own glory to get him to act. Mm-hmm. But I think of a number of times in the Bible when that has happened. And I, I just think that's really interesting. Isn't there isn't there somewhere? Maybe you could help me because I'm just thinking. Isn't there a way to pray like four different things? You know where I'm going? Forgiveness, affirmation, you know, those. Remember the remember that like the four ways to pray, what you should include in your prayer? I've always known the Lord's Prayer to be kind of that, where you pray for Yeah, like you praise first and Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too when I was reading this. It's like, okay, God doesn't need you to okay, this is gonna sound bad. I hope that people don't take this the wrong way. But he doesn't need you to blow smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't need to tell me how great I am. I <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But I think it's just part of of the process of maybe prayer to say, you know what, Lord, you, you know what? I know you're right. I know everything is divine. I know you're the greatest. I know you're you're in control of everything, and that's all he's saying. Yeah, it's just um, so Isaiah forty eight is a good example of this. It says, "For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath." For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. You know, so there is there's a certain degree in this era of many gods, right? There's there's kind of a well-deserved arrogance where God is like, you think so? No. I'm the one, right? And and so in this era of many gods and many signs and wonders and magicians and astrologers and soothsayers, he he does get in there and display his power in ways that no one can compete with on purpose just to state himself publicly. And that's what that's essentially what Daniel's asking him to do. He's saying, don't, you know, don't do this for us. We don't deserve this. Do this for you. We bear your name. Your temple sits desolate. Your temple bears your name. Do something for that. You know, it's just is 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 really uh, an interesting approach to me. Yeah, you know, it gets me thinking more about what the purpose of prayer is. And so often we we start we think that our prayers are to get God to do what we want, but the real purpose of prayer is for us to get in tune with what God wants. So that if he says no and we come to accept it, we understand that's not his will, you know. And so here where God has said, I am going to do this. And then Daniel is praying, Lord, please do this. I'm seeing it as like an almost like an agreement on Daniel's part. It's like you said you're going to do it. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead and do it. So this whole discussion reminds me of Psalm 50 which people quote Psalm 50 kind of flippantly. They say, well, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a nice way of saying God 
can provide everything I need because he, you know, he owns everything and, and I know that he can provide. Right. Mm. But if you read it, it's, it's actually very different in what it's saying. It is saying that it does say that every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand Hills. But then he says, and if I were hungry, you think I'd tell you. Um, and it's God speaking. He says, if I were hungry, I could eat the flesh of bulls. And I, you know, and, and so it's, it's God, like Karen was saying, it's almost a sarcastic, although well-deserved, uh, arrogance where he says everything is mine if you want to bring a sacrifice to me you bring a sacrifice but I don't need the meat mm-hmm. um, so I, I just love reading through Psalm 50 because God is showing his great glory and he's essentially saying I don't need the things that you're bringing me mm-hmm. do you guys remember when we did Job yeah <laughs> like Job and his buddies sit and compare wisdom for you know however long they sat and compared wisdom. Oh, and, right, then, right. and then finally, finally, God starts talking and it's like four straight chapters starting in Job 38 that starts <laughs> off. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth foundation, earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand, right? And then he just trounces him. He asks him He even him tells every him at one question. point, he says, pull up your pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep, right? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Tell me if you know all this. Like, whoa. <laughs> so... So it's that God, okay? It's that God that said 70 years. Right. And so now here's Daniel. And I and I I kind of get the human reaction like, oh no, we're coming up on the 70 years. And he actually says, he actually says, for your sake, my God, do not delay. Right? So that's the only thing that kind of made his prayer make sense to me because maybe he was looking around at the current state of his people and thinking, oh dear, mm-hmm. we haven't, we're not really doing any better than we were. I wonder if God's going to stretch this 70 years out. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I kind of like this, what I was, what I was talking about before, where he's, he's recognizing that the, that the people, they just ha- they haven't figured it out and they, regardless of when the time started in comparison to Daniel's uh, uh, capture, he can recognize that that 70 years is close. I mean, he was reading Jeremiah and going 70 years, 70 years. I've been here for 67. This thing's got to be getting close. What is going on? What is with our people? God, forgive us, please help us. (laughs) Please do something here because we're not, we're not there. We're not, we're, we're not doing it. And we are an embarrassment to you. So uh, please step in here. You know, I think Daniel was saying, you know, don't delay. Is it going to be 70 years in one day? Mm. Or is it going to be 70 years in 364 days? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think I don't once again, I don't think he's questioning the 70 years, but there is 364 days before you know, that 70 years is gone. You know what I mean? To 71 years. Mm-hmm. And he's I think he's just chomping at the bit and wants to go home. You know, I think it's in his lifetime. He's now he's an old man and he's like, okay, you know, this is what my whole life has been spent looking forward to going back home, the home that I knew. Because if you think about it, he was, what did we say, around 
16, 18 years old, maybe 20, 16 to 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so he's getting up there. He's this his whole captivity has been um, you know, pretty much in Babylon, but he remembers home. You know, and I was thinking back on what we were talking about, and you know, um Karen mentioned Job. You know, but we see the same thing when they're wandering around in the in the desert, is that God goes, you know what? I don't need the meat offerings. I don't need to smell the flesh. That's not what I'm concerned about. You're missing the point when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. This is all mine. It's your heart that I'm worried, that I'm concerned about, not the ceremonies. Uh, one thing I guess I think is kind of cool is that he has, you know, maybe he's looking at younger people because he's not there in isolation. He probably is in a community of other, um, you know, Israelites, and he's probably seen that a lot of them are being distracted by the world around them. And and maybe maybe a lot of this is just that his heart is like a good leader's. Remember how it's Samuel at one point says, God forbid that I should ever fail to pray for you. Um, and, and so I wonder if he's just that person who includes himself with the body and is able to humble himself and say, we're not quite ready, Lord, please make us ready. Well, he does finish off that prayer by with that recognition that this none of this is he, he doesn't expect anything to happen because of anything that people have done because uh they are not they aren't righteous and but he's recognizing god's mercy yeah at this point and i realize that i'm 50 and my warranty's expired and all of that good stuff but at this point in my life i've now reached the age where i look around at my fellow mankind and i think i don't I don't think it really gets better than this. Like, I, I really think that we've kind of peaked and it's just going to go downhill from here. Like, that's embarrassing. But there we are. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've lost my my dream for humanity that we can really live up to our potential. Let's just put it that way. I'm getting cynical in my old age. OK, <laughs> right there. I said it. And I and I just, you know, I look around at people and. You know, in in my line of work, I deal with severely mentally ill individuals, right? So they've got everything working against them. Their life circumstance, their biology has failed them. Their brain chemistry has failed them. Everything's failed them. The system has failed them. Everything's failed them, right? And here I am trying to retain some sense of optimism, watching them hose themselves over and over and over and over and being unable to grasp the basic idea that there's something better out there. And every time I start to get impatient with one, I think to myself, Karen, that's probably how you look to Father God. Mm-hmm. You know, like from, so. his point of view, from his point of view, we're all that broken. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, in, you know and, and then it gives me grace and it gives me patience. And then I'm able to be, you know, to, to bring that to my clients and and that works well. But it's it's a it's a very humbling perspective. So like I get what Daniel's saying. Like he's looking around at the nation and he's saying, Hey, we're down to the last couple of years and I'm not seeing much improvement. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, something happens while Daniel is praying that is really, really fast. Well, fast, yeah, absolutely fast. Uh, I was going to use the word amazing, but fast actually really fits here because <laughs> because while Daniel is praying, the angel Gabriel appears to him, and he comes with a message. And the reason Karen says he was fast is because he tells him that when he started, when Daniel started praying, Daniel was dispatched with a message. Gabriel was dispatched. To Daniel. 
to Daniel. <laughs> That's what I meant to say, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Gabriel was dispatched to Daniel with a message at the moment that he began praying. Now, this this says tells me a couple of things. He came from somewhere, you know, um, and he arrived here and wherever he was coming from and going to, he was moving fast. Yes, uh, this is 15 verses in the Bible. This is not, this is not chapters and chapters. This is yeah. 15 verses later, Gabriel arrives. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we say this assuming, uh, I've said it before and I, you know, may, maybe not everybody agrees with me entirely, but I think that there is a physical place out there. I mean, Jesus, we know that Jesus left in a physical body. He's going to come back physical. Um, we, we know that he's going to be physical through eternity. So that tells me there's a place, there's a physical place that we think of as heaven. And that, to me, must have been where Gabriel came from. Where is it? I'm not even going to speculate. I know some people have ideas and I'm like, well, you know, maybe, but that's a little, you know. You're, you're, you're maybe <laughs> jumping the gun a little bit there. Let's just wait and see what happens. Uh, maybe this new web telescope will give us an idea. I don't know. But um, <laughs> of a close up of a granite countertop or something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I saw that meme. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, uh, angels are able to travel very, very quickly. However, they do it. I don't know. But uh, but um, Gabriel comes with a message uh, from heaven. And it's interesting to me because it seems like the message he gives isn't 100% in correlation to the prayer that Daniel is having. Because it's, I think, I, I mean, our discussion to me seems to be that we're kind of in agreement that Daniel is talking about want, wanting to see this end of that 70 weeks, for God to be glorified through it, through for the people to to rise up to the occasion and then gabriel comes with a message that is maybe connected but not totally the same yeah so i think it is tied together with um chapter seven when daniel uh verses 13 and 14 in his vision he says i heard one saint speaking and another saint spoke to him and said how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And he said, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. But then as we move down through Daniel chapter 7, then it says um, in verse 26, it says, For the vision of the evenings and the mornings which you were told is true. Therefore shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick. And afterward, I rose up and did the king's business and I was astonished at the vision, but I didn't understand it. So then right away at the, um, it, you know, when Gabriel comes after Daniel's prayer, he says, oh, I came to give you skill at understanding. And right away he jumps into this 70 week prophecy and says that part of it's going to be cut off from something larger. So I think that's kind of an interesting tie-in i think gabriel is telling him these because we haven't read that part yet but um first he tells daniel you know what you're greatly beloved uh we, you know we love you up at up in heaven <laughs> and all that <laughs> and then so he says, cool. yeah it is so cool 
Then it says 70 weeks are cut off from thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression. And he goes through this whole thing, but he's, he's saying it's being cut off, being cut off from what? Well, he's referring back to this original vision. So it must be cut off from the 2300. Okay. So you're saying cut off. My translation is saying determined. 70 right. weeks are determined. I what looked if- up the word in, um, in Hebrew, it's hathak. And mm-hmm. it means either determined against or cut off from. Okay. So so you're right. And um, yeah, it just in, in my version, it says cut off. But also yeah. it can be determined. Oh, no, mine, is, mine says determined. Amy's just making stuff up. Yep, that's what I do. but well but still that's uh, no no, your your words fit though because we know from further study not just here but when we get into revelation and such we know that the visions are correlating and that this vision is correlating with all of the visions that daniel's been having of of these time prophecies that are being laid out and daniel has been given been given all this this understanding of forethought of things that are going to happen, maybe not specifically because some of the things that are talked about here are a little vague, but when we're able to look back at them through history and pinpoint some things that happen, it's really fascinating. And Daniel's right there in the middle of it. Well, this is such an interesting passage too, because it really anchors the time of the coming of the Messiah more so than any other Old Testament prophecy. And so like when Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come, he knows good and well that there was a specific time that the Lord had predicted that the Messiah would come. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, Mark uh, records that Jesus said, you know, the time is at hand. And so they're not referring to just like some vague idea of time. They're referring to prophetic time. They're, they're remembering that God had said, you know, he spoke this messianic prophecy in, in Daniel's vision. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important to remember because to me that gives, well, you know, to a lot of people who study the scripture, it gives a clear indication that um, not only about the 2300 days, but about the fact that based on Old Testament prophecy, we can know clearly that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. Yeah. Why well, don't and, I... And for, we didn't actually read it, but the verse that Amy's talking about there is verse... Uh, my eyes are bad. What does that say? That is verse 25, where it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get much more plain spoken than that. Right. Nope. Right. And well, if I were Daniel, I would have been having heart palpitations right then. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't I go ahead and read this, read this prophecy? Because it's basically the end of the chapter. So I okay. can read it and then we can do our best to kind of break it down and, and help our listeners to understand where we come to some of our conclusions here. Because there are discrepancies. It's not like all Bible scholars believe all the same things. We are kind of ascribed to a certain uh, to a certain interpretation, especially when you get to the end of this of the thing. Now, let me read it, and then we can get into all that. So, starting in verse twenty four, and this is New uh, New King James Version. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins 
to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So I just want to point out that I used to think that certain parts of the Old Testament were super boring. And one of those is Ezra, um, the book of Ezra, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are you know, kind of tedious. Did you guys go through them before I joined the podcast? I don't No, think... that's coming up because isn't yeah. that when they get released from Babylon and start heading right, back? Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. Yeah, we haven't done those yet. We're doing chronological. Yep. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, Ezra will be next. Well, so... Spoiler. So just let us know that you're going to spoil it for us now, but go... But whole books have been written about Ezra chapter 7 because people are trying to figure out, okay, when was the command to go forth and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay? Well, that's found in Ezra chapter 7. And so... You know, sometimes what we think might be a little bit boring is actually a key to prophecy. So I just think that's kind of cool, you know, now that I'm maybe a little bit more mature than when I first started studying. <laughs> right, I like yeah. how you drop the bait for our millions and millions of listeners to keep them intrigued. Good, good job, Amy. Good job. <laughs> Stay tuned for Ezra. Stay or tuned you won't for Ezra. Yeah, you won't understand <laughs> anything. Some people have called boring, but we found it hidden gem. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let's break this down a bit. So 70 weeks. Okay, the going forth of the command. So like you said, that's in Ezra. Well, no, go back to 24. Okay. Okay, 70 weeks are decreed uh, for your holy people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So um that's there's a lot in there yes what all do you guys see in there well there's so much in there because i mean as i read that verse by itself there's a lot of things there that i would say haven't happened (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. making an end of sins well we you know everybody still sins every day but (laughs) when we get into what the what the prophecy talks about i think it starts to make a little sense uh, you know, reconciliation, uh, mm-hmm. everlasting righteousness, those kind of things. When we're like you've already said, we're talking about the coming of Messiah. Uh, these things all make sense. Messiah takes away the sins. He, um, you know, the tra- all the, the the transgressions are are accounted for or atoned for. Maybe I should say. Yeah, um, even into the future. At that point, every transgression, mm-hmm. every sin is is atoned for. Yeah. All the that is required for that to be a completed moment is for the human who did the sin to step into the reconciliation that is offered. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more what I see. I think, you know, to finish the transgression and put an end to sin, that yeah. to me is like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a time coming when there's going to be, remember how the old you know, Jeremiah would talk about how I will pour out my spirit upon you. And, you know, and then you would have this, uh, a loving response rather, you know, a, a new heart will I give you, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of language. So that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. So, I mean, these are all things that we would be that, you know, you would be looking forward to mm-hmm. that you would be hoping for, especially as Daniel was talking about, forgive us as we're moving into the end of the 70 years. And then this prophecy or yeah, this prophecy comes to him through Gabriel and says, well, this is going to be. This is, you know, we're going to have this time for this stuff to be handled, for this to be taken care of. And. Uh, so kind of like, you know, don't worry about it, Daniel, because something's coming. So was there spoiler text? alert. Oh, go ahead. Mm. No, go ahead. I don't I have no alert to spoil. <laughs> well, just that according to Ezra chapter seven, the full decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem was given in 457 BC. And so that gives us a time frame to work with. Um, and it was, you know, during that time that they went back and, you know, they had all this trouble trying to build the wall, et cetera. And that's interesting because verse 25 also says that the the streets and the wall will be built again, even in troublous times. So that's what's happening in Ezra that makes it so interesting. But then also from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince. So until the coming of the Messiah shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks so 62 weeks. Um, So, it's the only time in the New Testament that we're given a specific date in the life of Jesus. And that's in Luke 3, verse 1. It tells us about Tiberius. You know, like we're in the, what's it say? Mm. Uh, Luke 3, verse 1. I got to find it. But it gives us the specific time. And so what's interesting to me about that is here we have this time prophecy that's telling us when the Messiah will come. And then Luke 3, verse 1 says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. Like, he's given a bunch of details, right? Mm-hmm. And his brother, the tetrarch of, ooh, Iteria? <laughs> and the region of some other word. Trachonitis. Bless you. Ananias and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, in the wilderness, and then it goes on to describe the baptism of Jesus. And so I just, I think that's super interesting because we have the only affirmative time frame given in the New Testament for when uh, something has happened. Like we're not given the date of his birth. We're not told December 25, 4, you know, AD. Um, <laughs> we're, we're given only this one opportunity to know the time and it's in Luke chapter three um, and it's at the time of his baptism. And it's interesting then because it's also the word Messiah means the anointed one. So the baptism would be the time of the anointing. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Holy spirit got poured out on him. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I know about chapter or verse 25. (laughs) Well, well the, so the the other thing that I think is worth reminding people is that we're talking weeks here. So seven, 
So my NIV rephrases it 77s. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and the New King James is 70 weeks. All right. So, so in Bible prophecy, I can't remember what verse it is, but there was earlier in Daniel, we came up upon a verse that basically said that in prophetic time, a day is a year, right? So that's, that's how we're equating that far into the future. If you happen to not have heard that before. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, you're very right. I sh- we should have brought that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're so used to talking about this stuff that we kind of forget that. But yeah, and that's not the first time we've come across that uh, concept either. I don't remember exactly when, but I know that on the podcast, we've talked about that day year concept before. Uh, and, and which isn't to say that every time you see the Bible talking about a day that it means a year. It's just when you get into these time prophecies. Daniel is, and I think we maybe talked about this last last week too, where Daniel somehow experiences some of those prophecies as a day going by somehow, you know, and and so that day week or excuse me day year prophecy uh, uh, standard is being we can apply here. It's been it's been established. So when we're talking seventy weeks and sixty two weeks, we're actually talking. 490 years. 490 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have references for that just so that we can put them on the air with uh, uh, Ezekiel 4 6, Numbers 14 34, Daniel 7 25, and Revelation 13 5. Yeah. And those are those are day year uh, references. Yeah. By the way, there's also one in Luke, I think Luke chapter 13, where Jesus uses it. Hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. I'm sorry. I'll find the one in Luke. By the way, a fun little thing to think about when you get down to Revelation and you're reading through Revelation, if you use that day year thing, there are prophecies in Revelation that say they'll take an hour. Oh, I know. It's so interesting. Right? What does that mean? Right? Mm -hmm. And I've actually done math and that's pretty interesting. I don't know if I'm right, but I've done it. Yeah, well. Yeah, an hour out of a day. I think the point of that is probably, at the very least, the point of that is it's going to happen really fast. Okay, like, I even by that. our standards, fast. So. What is I it? Found that reference in Luke thirteen. You want to hear it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. In Luke thirteen thirty one, it says, "On that day, on that same day, came certain Pharisees saying um, to him, get out and go away, for Herod wants to kill you.' And Jesus says, go and tell that fox.'" Behold, I will cast out devils and I will do cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow in the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet will perish out of Jerusalem. So this, by the way, is in the first six months of his ministry. And he says, but I have to walk today and tomorrow. And on the following day, so if we are doing a day for a year, the third year, I will be perfected. And he and uses, the Pharisees would have known that because they would have studied the Old Testament. Right. So he's essentially saying, um, in the third year, I'll be crucified. It's just, it's neat to me to see it, Jesus giving, you know, using that. It gives it a lot more credibility when Jesus uses mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about just 490 years, this uh, 69 weeks... Mm-hmm. Or to- I guess totally 70 weeks, we end up 
I mean, if we're talking 70 weeks from... Oh, see, the, what you're talking about was the then shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's uh -huh. 69, right? Yeah. And then, and then it talks about how after the 62 weeks, cut off, blah, blah, blah. And, can, and then in the middle of the week, you know, it just, yes. Yeah. That that whole 70 weeks, though, would put, if we start in 457 BC with that decree going out, 70 weeks would put us at AD 34. And this is where the math always gets me, because you have to remember that there's no such thing as year zero between yes. AD and BC. And so that's how we're able to come to to that number because if you just subtract 457 from uh uh or 70 from four you know how that works you know well yeah and it actually isn't it ad 27 because it's the date of his baptism <sighs> well and jesus wasn't born in year zero anyway remember because they were off right calculations well the ad 30 okay so this is where we get this is where we have to get down into some nitty-gritty here because here of the because command. the 69 weeks is Jesus's baptism it's another it's another uh week if you will to 8034 when Stephen is stoned but in the middle, middle of that, that week. in the middle of that week around 8031 is when Jesus is crucified and that's when it says, in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when we when we see this foretelling of when Jesus will be baptized, and how does that describe him here? Um, After threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Is that what you were referring to? Well, I'm just trying to figure out all. I'm looking at a chart that involves some other stuff too, and so I might be conflating a couple of different ideas here that all fits together. But so, um, okay, do the math here because I am not a math person. So the command goes out in 457. Yes. Right, and it's from that date that mm -hmm. the 490 years occur. Mm -hmm. Correct. The 70 weeks. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that brings me to. But then it says 69 weeks. is So Jesus is baptized at the beginning of the 69th week. Yeah, which would bring you to 8027. 27. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, because that takes me to, so when I said, when I take 457 and I subtract 490, I get negative 33. So that, so then I have to add seven I have to subtract seven two from that, and I—that's when I come up with twenty-seven, mm -hmm. and that's yep. the sixty. That's the sixty. So the whole prophecy encompasses four hundred and ninety years, but it's done incrementally because at sixty-nine weeks, which is I don't know how, which is how many days is that? I just four hundred eighty-three. Four hundred eighty-three years. Yeah, that is. You guys are saying that that's when Jesus was baptized. Where are you getting that? Well, that was that part in Luke uh, three, verse one. Mm-hmm. We're, we're given the exact date of his baptism and and Jesus is, you know, after his baptism, the let's see, he will confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall call. Oh, yeah, you already read that. Um, he shall cause the sacrifice to end. So, so, OK, so here's what I'm getting at. So. In verse 20, I am sitting in very low light right here, and I am just struggling to see my little tiny font, what the verse numbers oh. are. In 25, 
In the second half of verse 25, it says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's the 69 weeks. And then it says, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. I'm, what does that mean? I think, I don't think that's in direct correlation to that 62 weeks. I think that's, uh, this is my interpretation of it, but that's just talking about the city will get built, but we know that Rome is going to come in and occupy it. Yeah, it, It's not going to be a happy-go-lucky time as they're rebuilding. But uh, also, well, in Ezra and in Nehemiah, we get the story of how the Samaritans keep coming and interfering with the rebuilding of the wall around mm. Jerusalem. So this is like clear back at the beginning right. of the 70 weeks. Yeah. So at yeah. the beginning that, of the I 70 was, weeks, that's your troublous times. Right. That's what I thought, too. It was, it was Nehemiah trying to build the wall and everything he was coming up against, you know, i.e. sword in one hand, building yeah. in the other hand. Yeah. And right. He tells people, I want a shovel in one hand and I want you to carry a sword in the other. Yeah. But it never is great. I mean, it's never... I don't think they're ever without some kind of turmoil there. Well, I think they, well, he originally went after him because he had, you know, he had everything, all the, you know, T's crossed, I's dotted when he got the proclamation from, oh, remind me again, was it Cyrus? Uh, yeah, it was yeah. actually Artaxerxes on this right because it was three times. Yeah. Right. And then he had to go back and he had to have it re-verified again. Mm-hmm. To get everybody basically off of him again. But then he was having to deal with the Samaritans because they were trying to, they wanted to help him build it. And he was like, no, 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 this has to be just us, basically. And so I think that was what it was saying. It was always something going on. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, a you know, okay, you know, green light, let's get everything done. Everything's hunky-dory and we can, you know, complete this project. It was always turmoil. So... Christ's ministry lasted three and a half years. So from the time of his baptism, we have A.D. 27 uh, until the spring of A.D. 31 when he's crucified. But then, but then, uh, Matt, you were getting to the idea of looking at Stephen as mm-hmm. a possible confirmation of the end of that week. Because mm-hmm. the Messiah is cut off in the middle of the week. And then it says, not for himself and the people of the prince that will come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Um, So this is a really difficult prophecy, but we know from history that that's when the Roman armies come. Um, Mm -hmm. So eventually they lose the city again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we fit this all together. That that 69 weeks and then that extra week. And we we can see that from that decree, we can see it right up to Jesus' baptism, Jesus' uh, crucifixion, and then that that when Stephen gets stoned in, in AD 34. Now, I made allusion to, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and you guys maybe know uh, a little bit more about this, but there are some who try to say that that 69 weeks and that last week have a weird indiscriminate time frame in between them before things happen. And like, we're still waiting for that last week to happen. Right. So like our fellow Christians who believe in futurism, they believe there's a gap and Mm -hmm. they don't, as I understand it, they believe that 
<laughs> that the prince that should come is um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And that um, then there's this great gap in history. And then there's the seven years of tribulation at the end of time. So I don't quite, I don't quite understand where they get that, though. I've never heard that before. I, I'm with Amy. I've heard it. I've never understood it because it just makes sense to me that that after 69 weeks comes the 70th week. And it fits perfectly well with Jesus's with Jesus's arrival with his baptism, his ministry, and then uh, that stoning of Stephen that starts a whole new, it really kind of starts a whole new era of uh, of Christianity, of the church, uh, the way that people, you know, think way things happen. Well, I was pleased to find out that Sir Isaac Newton actually said that, uh, well, because he wasn't just a physicist and a mathematician. He was also a serious Bible student. And he said that the Messianic prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 is the foundation stone of the Christian religion. So I thought that was super interesting because he could see that that was how we know that Jesus is the promised one. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the, I think the Jewish people... Isaac. Jewish people too must not quite understand they don't they don't they don't take our the interpretation that we ascribe to on this either because they're still waiting for Messiah they still haven't seen I don't I don't I don't get I don't get how they don't get it but I don't know I don't know and maybe they just they just don't they just don't I don't know I don't get it because sure. yeah. it seems pretty it, it seems pretty straightforward to me as we look back and having that starting point, 457 BC, 69 weeks to 8027, Jesus is baptized. Three and a half years, halfway into that next little bit, he is crucified. And another three and a half years. Which, which brings the sacrifice to an end. Yes, which right. brings the sacrifice to an end, which is a key key part of all of this. Because after Jesus' sacrifice, we don't need sacrifice in the temple anymore, and so it just makes sense. It just makes it just makes sense to me that that seventy follows sixty nine. Very simple, and uh, there's no reason to to complicate it beyond that. So it's really a fascinating. It's a fascinating little. A uh, bit of uh, information that Daniel gets. Plus, he got told by an angel that he was loved. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. So great. That is pretty awesome. You know, we've had times in the Bible where God says, "You're not my people. I don't. You know, I'm not happy with you. That's awful." But to be told by an emissary from heaven, "You are loved." That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That, that's uh, yeah. That is pretty awesome. And I love that. I love that it's a character that we will see come back and it'll be hundreds of years later and he and he comes back so it's pretty cool that's awesome anything else about daniel chapter 9 i think we've probably kind of covered it we've we've muddled our way through it we if you have any, it. <laughs> if you have questions on that uh you can you can no always problem. email us and we can try again <laughs> and we can try again it's a, it's, a, it's it's interesting you got to know some history uh, which I'm not always great at, but um, having those having those those dates spelled out that we can actually look at through the in the history books is pretty cool. So uh, I love it. I love it. I love that uh, 
it's one of those things that really affirms my faith, reminds me that everything is happening the way it was supposed to happen, as God said it was going to happen. And and when when he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Like Karen said earlier, there you do not need to question it. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, Certainly is worth praying about, though, like Daniel. So and who knows, maybe someday we'll pray about these things and an angel will come to us. Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we, we might get surprised <laughs> okay well I think that is going to wrap it up for this week uh, next week we will continue in Daniel chapter 10 uh, so you can start reading that we're starting to close in on the end of, of the book of Daniel but, uh, start reading in Daniel chapter 10 and while you are doing that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. We can try to answer questions for you and uh, have a discussion. It'd be, it would be great. Um, remember, you can look us up on Facebook. Be sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your PD agent every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.